2: All right, my first guest tonight is Dave Stewart. You guys know who he is, 16-year career, uh, four-time 20-game winner. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Number 34, retired by the A's in in 2022. So A's legend, Bay Area legend, Dave Stewart joins us. So, Stu, how you doing, man? Doing well, man. Doing very well. Well, it's good to have you on. It's good to hear your voice. It's been a long time since we hung out. Uh, And thanks for coming on. Thanks for uh, making some time for the show tonight. So, I guess we have to start with it. We were just talking before we came on the air real quick uh, about the rules changes, your thoughts. You, I mean, you've done everything in baseball. You've been an executive, a pitching coach, an agent, a starting pitcher. You've worn so many hats and, and they've all been pulled down really low, probably. But what do you think about the pitch clock and the, all the new rules in baseball so far?
3: You know, I've, I've uh, you know, spent a little, little bit under a week in spring training with the A's um, and listened uh you know, at the instruction or from the from the pitching coaches about the the new rule changes, especially for the pitchers, you know, with the two throws over and the, the pitch clock and and the amount of time that you have to you know get the ball, get on the mound, and throw. And um, I like it. I mean, you know, the game has gotten really, really slow. And I mean, from that from the the standpoint of the pitch clock and you know, having the hitter ready, um, I, I think that that does speed up the game more. Um, there's been conversation, I think I read it someplace, that games right now in spring training have been 23 minutes shorter in time of play. So, I mean, that in itself is, is refreshing. To take a game from three hours to almost two and a half hours, I think, is perfect. That's the way the game used to be be played. Um, the I'm still trying to, to get a grasp on – you know, what is going to be the advantage or disadvantage of the two throws over the first base. I haven't figured that one out, uh, quite frankly. And then, you know, the larger bases, if that is to promote stolen bases, um, that could tentatively mean that there's going to be more run production and when more runs are scored, and it kind of contradicts the, the, the pitch clock.
2: How would this affected you as a pitcher? I feel like you worked fast. I don't think it like you dilly dallied out there. You just got on the mound, yeah. stared dudes down, and went right after him. Do you think this would have affected you back in the day?
3: Well, I, I, I can tell you this: I, I didn't need a pitch clock um, at all. Um, I, I would say, and I don't know this for a fact, but I would say my my average time of of, of game on games that I pitched that were regulation games and not extra innings. I would probably have to say that we were getting them done in two hours and fifteen to two hours and thirty. I would say, so I don't think that I. I would say that if someone said, "Did I need that?" I would say not at all. I thought that I, I, bet I'd, I work pretty quickly.
2: Talking to three-time World Series champ Dave Stewart, nice enough to join us tonight on the show. So, why were the games two fifteen and two thirty back then? Like you know. I played mid-90s to early 2000s. I don't feel like the games went that long. Was it just like guys getting in the box and not like fixing their batting gloves every pitch? Was it commercial breaks? Why do you think the games were so short back in the day?
3: Well, I think for sure guys got in the box. and There wasn't a lot of standing outside the box. You got to remember, before my time and even in my time, but especially before my time, when you got a guy like Bob Gibson, Nolan Ryan, Tom Seaver, and you got those guys on the mound, if you're dilly dallying around <laughs> in the batter's box and, and taking too much time to get in there, um, you know what the message was gonna be. So guys got in the box, they got their bats in and you know, I think that there were more strikes thrown, um for sure. Guys aren't guys aren't strike throwers these days. You've got starting pitchers that are that are at a hundred pitches within five innings, so they're definitely not throwing a lot of strikes. And, you know, all those factor into not, um, you know, not not speeding the game up.
2: Yeah, I feel like I've seen so many walks the last couple of years. And, Stu, maybe it's because like, guys are trying to throw so hard and they're sacrificing, like, command for velocity. Because I remember back in the day if somebody came out of the bullpen and was throwing 100 miles an hour we, on the bench, we'd be like, oh, man, this guy's... Th- now you see, like, last place teams with three guys in their bullpen that throw 100 miles an hour. And a lot of times they don't know where it's going.
3: Well, this is we're, – we're definitely in a period of time when it's throw as hard as you can uh, for as long as you can. There's no – there's not not a finesse game. Guys are more impressed with, with lighting up that gun uh, than they are with commanding the strike zone and, and uh, you know, really throwing uh, quality strikes. We're definitely in a period of time when guys are not uh, trying to be finesse guys out there and you're not trying to trick hitters. They're trying to blow hitters away, and and that's just the period of time that we're in. Um, you know, when when we were doing our job in my period of time and, and even watching the guys before me, um, most guys would be embarrassed to be throwing 100 pitches in five innings. The mission was to complete games and, and and get outs versus strike people out. The strikeouts came as they would come. You can believe Nolan Ryan was not there trying to strike people out. His stuff was just good enough to do it. He had a devastating breaking ball. And he had an outstanding changeup, and, and guys were going down. But Nolan was finishing games within within you know 110 to 125, 30 pitches. I'd be willing to bet.
2: Yeah, talking to 1989 World Series MVP, Dave Stewart. Nice enough to join the show tonight. So, yeah, we, we used to – a strikeout used to be a big deal. We didn't want to go back to the dugout. That means you beat me. And and now I feel like guys don't care if they strike out. So a lot of talk about the A's and where they're going. They just played an exhibition game in Vegas. And I know, you know, you're you're a Bay Area guy. You played for the A's for however many years. And your thoughts on maybe the A's moving to Vegas or staying in
3: Oakland? You know, um, I'm an I'm a I'm an Oakland I'm an Oakland native and before i played for the A's I I was a fan of the A's. And I was a kid that snuck in the Coliseum and hid in the seats until the gates opened and, and um you know I can I can name the early teams there. I can name the team that, that came to Oakland in nineteen sixty eight. So, I mean obviously and and you know, the Coliseum was literally in my backyard from where I grew up. And so, I mean, obviously it it, it would be great to see um, the Oakland A's uh, continue, you know, in Oakland and, and play their games in Oakland and that be home and not have to worry about them leaving. Um, That would be the the, the greatest thing to happen, in my opinion. And, and I'll say it every time that uh, them going to Vegas, I think it's going to be, more painful to the city than they, they probably think. But, you know, um uh, there's just situations that probably you and I don't know. I know that they've had difficulty with with the city and the city council. And, and I can testify that I had my problems with them as well. And so I know they're not a very, very easy group to work with. And so, you know, the A's are going to do, or I should say that Mr. Fish is going to do what's, what's, beneficial to him as an owner and to the team um, as a franchise. And, you know, if they end up in Las Vegas, I can't tell you I do what I did with the Raiders, which is I don't root for the Raiders. Um, but I have too, too strong a tie to Dave's organization to not continue to root for them and wish well for them and, and hope that they do well if they end up in Vegas.
2: Yeah, it's in your blood, and that's understandable, I, especially being a Bay Area native. Uh, He won 160 games in his big league, 168 games in his big league career. He's Dave Stewart, and he's joining us right now. So you've been involved in the expansion baseball to Nashville. How's that coming? Do you think Nashville's going to get a big league team anytime soon?
3: You know what? It's it's a a great market um, for baseball. It's a growing city. They've got three major sports. There's soccer, hockey, and football. Um, And, you know, there's a tremendous amount of people that are moving there from all parts of the country. Um, it's it's a market that you know it's, it's not just about sports. It's also you know the music and and the culture of the city. Um, the it it all points to Major League Baseball coming there. We've had we've had our uh, winter meetings there, and I believe our winter meetings are going to be there uh, this 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 no this December as well. So um, it's not an unfamiliar territory to baseball. The Nashville Sounds have been a great minor league franchise, and had led uh, the Triple A leagues in in attendance over the last four or five years. So, you know, once again, it's a market that will will, I think, do tremendous for baseball. You know, it's a it's a minority diverse ownership group, uh, which um, in baseball is a first as well. You know, our team, the Nashville Stars. Um, is is from an old Negro league that played in Nashville in the 40s and 50s. And so that'll be a first as well, taking a a Negro league team uh, name and and bearing it at the major league level. So there's a lot of historical things that are going to happen with this franchise once uh, baseball comes to Nashville.
2: Well, that'd be cool. I mean, the A's could go to Vegas and then uh, a team could go to Nashville. That's what everybody calls Nashville because it's, <laughs> it's so much fun. there. like, when I was on the East Coast, I'd be like, what are you guys doing this weekend? We're going to Nashville, dude. I, I haven't been there, Stu, since like AAA in the 90s. And it was cool, but now it's just a different place, right? I mean, there's so much to do. Like you said, the music, the downtown area, the population there. I mean, you've done all the research. They would draw, right? There's interest in baseball there, obviously.
3: Oh, no doubt about it. There was, the fan participation is going to be tremendous. It's going to be tremendous from the people of Nashville. But you you mentioned another piece of the piece of the puzzle. There are so many people that are coming there. And so, you know, when you schedule your trip to just come to Nashville and enjoy the music, the food, the people, um, you're going to be able to mix in a, a Major League Baseball game. And, you know, you're fans of the New York Mets, New York, Yankees, if you're a Phillies fan, it wouldn't matter. I mean, you're you're coming, you're going to watch baseball, you're going to enjoy the culture of Nashville. It's just a great place to watch baseball.
1: With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Jamaica and do your deal at cheapcaribbean.com.
2: So I know you've been asked this question a million times, the stare. And, you know, I grew up watching you, dude. I just I love the way you went about it. I don't see a whole lot of intimidation going on in baseball nowadays. It's everybody's friends on Facebook and friends on Instagram. You don't really see this anymore. But you were a linebacker in high school. Is that where you developed the stare? How, how did you get this whole persona? Was it the minor leagues or one day Tony came up to you and said, pull your hat down and go after him? How did the whole stare thing develop?
3: It started with Sandy Koufax in 1976, instructional league. Um, he was uh, changing my mechanics because I was a converted player. I was a catcher converted to a pitcher, and really didn't have it down. I had two losing seasons, 75 season, and the minor league season 76, and then went to instructional league after the 76 season. And one of the the biggest blessings in the world for me at that time was to meet Sandy and then have him personally take me under his wing and teach me the mechanics of pitching. And, and along with that, it's crazy. He stood me up on the mound and he says, what do you see? And I told him that I, you know, I saw everything. My my hat was not as tilted down as, as um, I eventually ended up wearing it. And he says, push your cap down a little bit more. He asked me, what do you see? And I I went from seeing, the top of the catcher's head to now adjust it, I saw the the neck of the catcher and the chest protector. He said, lower it a little bit more. And I did. And then he says, now throw a pitch. And so now my sights are the middle of the chest protector down to his knees. He asked me to throw a pitch. I threw the pitch, and the pitch was down in the zone. And so he said, that's what we're trying to get you to do, because I was, man, I I walked more people than I had innings pitched. (laughs) the first two years. And so he was just trying to get me in the strike zone and lowering the cap and which actually put me in a position to lower my target, um, worked out for me and I ended up, uh, being able to throw strikes. And that at 77 season, I ended up winning 18 games and losing four.
2: That's a great story. Talking to Dave Stewart right now, Stu, I don't know if it's cause I grew up watching you and being uh, a Northern California kid or not. But I used to pull my helmet down real low, but I think my reasons were different. I, I just didn't want to know that, that there was cameras there and the game was on TV and there was people in the stands, so I used to wear my helmet really low when I hit, and people used to make fun of me, like, we can't even see your face, you wear your helmet so low. I'm like, yeah, so, it's so, actually, in, in reality, I did it for the same thing. I had trouble swinging at high fastballs, so I pulled my helmet down real low, and it kind of lowered my sights, a lot like what you're talking to. And yeah. I was a little guy, and I couldn't hit the ball in the air, so I had to get the ball down, so I'd pull my helmet really, really low, and that way, I would see the ball down and, and try to look for it down the zone. So very similar. Only thing is, I didn't have like a Hall of Famer, one of the best pitchers ever, help me do that. I just figured it out
3: on my own. <laughs> you know, it was funny, man, being growing up in the Dodgers organization. You know, Sandy Koufax was there and available through spring training. Roy Campanella, Don Newcomb, Jim Gilliam was our first base coach at the time that I um, that at the time I came into the organization. You'd see Duke Snyder. Uh, Don Drysdale, I mean, there were just a bunch of Dodger greats that were around and willing to let you know what it meant to be a Dodger. And, you know, I, I felt really, really blessed to come up in the Dodgers organization and, and to have, you know, that kind of tradition to, to speak to and talk to and and really tell me what the organization was about.
2: Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I was a Dodger for a year, and it's like a walking Hall of Fame in spring training. You're like, oh, that's so and so, that's so and so. I went lucky enough my last year to go to spring training with the Yankees. Same thing. It's like, there's Ron Guidry, there's Goose Gossage, there's Don Mattingly flipping me toss in the cage. Must be laughing at my swing. He had such a good swing. So yeah, the, the 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 storied history of a lot of the franchises, even the Giants. Same thing. I mean, you have all these legends. And just what a great resource, and especially like you. I mean, bringing it all full circle, you going to spring training with the A's this year. And, you know, probably half of those kids didn't even know who you are, and then word spreads, that's Dave Stewart. And then you could impart (laughs) your wisdom on it. That's my biggest pet peeve, Stu. I don't want to get into it on the air right now, but this generation doesn't realize a a lot of the guys like yourself, Uh, even for African Americans, uh, paving the way and showing that, that you can play and you could do it. And I think I think our game could do better to remember our history a little bit better for the younger generation, the players that are doing it right now.
3: Well, they could, man. And, and but you know what? If if you think about it, and and really ident- identify who the the best players are in the game, the great players that are at the top of their game right now, and if you identify those guys, I think the one thing you'll find in common with all of them is that they watched a lot of baseball and they understand the history and the tradition of the game because they're true lovers of the game. You have to love baseball, in my opinion, to be, you know, the, a, a, a Mike Trout or or Mookie Betts, one of those guys. And and I believe that those guys, they look through the baseball cards, and I, I bet you they watched a lot of baseball when they were younger, and they understand the tradition and the history of the game. I, I, I think that... When you play at that level, there have to be um, players that they saw when they were younger that put them in the frame of mind that this is what I want to do when I become a major league player, and I want to do it at least at his level or better. And that's how they become great players. You know, Ken Griffey Jr. grew up in the game, and so his father was, in my opinion, a very, very good player. Um, but, um, you know, even more importantly, when if you talk to Kid Griffey, You know, he knew the people that were around the game, but he also knew the people that played the game before he did by growing up in that game. And and he made and set a level of play that obviously put him in the Hall of Fame. And so I think that there are a lot of young players that don't understand the history of the game. And, you know, for that matter, they don't even know why they're playing it other than to make a good living. But I think if you asked some of the, the upper echelon guys and, and not necessarily even those guys, but guys that play like Hall of Famers, but might not necessarily be, you know, a Hall of Famer, but they go after it every day and they give it everything that they have. I think that those guys are the guys that truly understand what this game is about, the tradition, and paying respect to it every time that they step on the field.
2: Oh, that's great stuff, Stu. You're giving me goosebumps, man. That was that was very well said. Uh, we're up against the clock, Stu. We're out of time right now, but I appreciate you coming on. That was really, really great stuff, and I look forward to running into you sometime here soon.
3: I'll see you soon, my man. You take care.
2: Take care